2: twice as hard for the same
3: motherfucking all but I
0: We're finally referencing the movie that opens our intro prom party.
1: Dang, dang, diggity, dang, dang. <laughs> I mean, that's
0: a musical, but yes.
1: I, you say that like it's a problem.
0: That's a very good point. We were absolutely <laughs> just listening to Candy Store before this started because I needed to get in the mood.
1: You, you say we. No, you were playing it and I was watching Jay and Silent Bob Strikes Back on <laughs> Pluto and quoting it. That's <laughs>
0: very true. That's actually what we were
1: Just doing. like Winnie the Pooh. <laughs>
0: prom party. We did it.
1: Yeah, made it to 100 whole episodes. Two two beautiful years of This Ends at Prom.
0: Two years of this wonderful podcast, 100 episodes, and I I kind of just can't believe that it's happened. Mm-hmm. It feels like a not real number, to be like, yeah, my podcast has 100 episodes. That doesn't sound right. That sounds fake. That's made up.
1: Podcasts don't last that long.
0: (laughs) I mean, statistically speaking, most of them don't, but...
1: Well, statistically speaking, when we first started the podcast, it was like, hey, we just have to make it to eight episodes, and then we beat the spread, because that's when most people give up. (laughs) That's very true. So look at us now. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Hey, look, mom, I made it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So friends, today we are talking about what is probably the most requested movie <laughs> of the entire teen girl movie canon. We're talking about Heathers.
1: Yes, depending on what age you are, either this or Mean Girls was the episode that you were requesting since we started the show.
0: And we specifically planned doing Mean Girls for year one and Heathers for year two because they, they go together together. And it just
1: seemed like the right fit. You need momentous stuff. Like, you got to trust the process. You got to gotta trust that we have long-term booking in mind. And then we're fine. What we're doing for year three, haven't figured that one out yet, but that's okay. Yep. Nope, because we didn't think that we were going to make it this long. No.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, we're talking about Heathers, a movie that I think both of us adore, um, that we have very differing experiences with. And I, I really can't wait to dive into it. So, Harmony, What was your introduction to Heather's?
1: My introduction to Heather's is that I was like 19 years old and came out as trans and went to the the LGBT community center of greater Cleveland because I was looking for community. Wow, it's a good thing they had a whole center for that. Yeah, that might be giving them a little too much (laughs) credit for that period of time. Fair point. Um, It was quite a mess at the time, but being 19 years old and being one of like the older people who just kind of found a, wanted a place to exist and and, and loiter and hang out <laughs> mm-hmm. whatever um that meant most of the people who like ran things uh, who coordinated things who volunteered there were typically like 30 35 a, a bit older and it was like 2010 2011 so Mean Girls was still a very popular thing in queer communities, mm-hmm. unsurprisingly. And every single time it would come up, it was, it, was like, it was like a dog whistle where you would just like, you'd hear this noise and someone would pop out from around the corner and go, hey, did you know that actually Mean Girls sucks and Heather's is better? <laughs> So it was like generational warfare amongst queers for some reason.
0: <laughs> Even though that both of these movies are wonderful in their own ways and speak to very different generational experiences. So it's silly to pin them against each other.
1: Yeah, but I, I, I almost feel like maybe there was this slightly pissy attitude because Heathers is like this one with seniority. It's a cult film versus Mean Girls, which was pop culture and all the rage and made a ton of money. Heathers made no money.
0: Yeah, so that's that's I, true.
1: I feel like there was almost like a, you gotta fight harder for your movie principle then.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, people, I think people are a little bit more defensive when something they love is a cult film. I'm certainly that way, so I get it.
1: I defend films that aren't even good enough to be cult films. <laughs> nobody's watched it other than me. <laughs>
0: That's why we have an entire episode dedicated to sorority boys. Hey,
1: every once in a while, someone will be like, that's one of my favorite episodes, and it touches my heart.
0: I hope that Wally Walidarski knows that we've just been preaching the gospel of this movie in this weird little corner. And one day he's just going to stumble upon it and be like, wow, why do all these people like this movie I made in the 2000s? I hope he just
1: feels like Googling his own movie and then sees my article written about it (laughs) because no one else has.
0: (laughs) Uh, if only.
1: Yeah, so BJ, <laughs> what what's your experience with this movie?
0: So I was introduced to Heather's very young. I was about 12. And how I learned about it was that I bought a book on cover alone uh, for the book Gingerbread by Rachel Kahn. She is the other half of the writing team that made the book of Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. So this is her second appearance on the show. Shout out to you, Rachel. But Gingerbread was about this girl who is, like, kind of punk. And on the cover, she's wearing, like, a black pencil dress, black and white striped stockings, some, like, big platform fucking kiss boots. There's two different shades of pink uh, on the background in stripes. She's holding, like, a weird rag doll. Like, it is screaming for me. I'm
1: Googling it right now. And this is exactly the energy that you wanted captured by the Roxy Carmichael cover. Yes. But for scene kids.
0: Oh my God, yes. <laughs> I like saw that cover in a bookstore, bought the book immediately, and finished reading it in one sitting. This I was obsessed. To soul. <laughs> so in the book, the character finds out that she has siblings that she's never met. She goes and meets them, and she finds out that her brother is in like a queer core band called I Love My Dead Gay Son, which right. of course is a reference to Heather's. And also, I would love to go to a show. And they're just like, thanks, you've been great, where I love my dead gang son. <laughs> it just makes me really happy. <laughs> um, so obviously the book explains where the reference is from. And I remember talking to my mom and my aunt about it. And my Aunt Julie, shout out to Aunt Julie. I'm pretty sure she actually bought me the book. I think I was with her when, when I got that book.
1: And Julie is a badass.
0: Aunt Julie's a real one. And yeah. she's responsible for a lot of weird niche films that I love, like Rock and Roll High School and Rocky Horror. Like these are... Those are both her fault. Your
1: specific DVD of Rock and Roll High School that we have that's from like 2002.
0: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But I remember asking like, hey, so what do you know about Heathers? And both of them being like, oh my God, you would love Heathers. So I watched it and obviously loved it, thought it was so fun and so smart, even as a 12 year old. But what's interesting is that when Mean Girls came out, a lot of the discussions about the the Heathers comparison started getting kicked up. So I rewatched Heathers around that time and it was for me the first time that I can remember watching a movie with the intention of assessing it because I wanted to know, like, what elements of Mean Girls were borrowed from Heathers? Where are their crossover? Where does one movie succeed where the other fails and vice versa? And that is so strange to me to, to really think about because I always talk about, like, horror as being my... my entry point into a lot of film theory, which is true, for the most part, it is. But teen girl movies are also my entry point, and that was kind of an aha moment for me when we were prepping for the show.
1: I mean, this is horror-adjacent.
0: It's true, it's a black comedy with murder.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Anything with murder's kind of horror-y.
0: Yeah, you're right by describing it as Mm horror-adjacent. That's very much where Heathers comes in, because without Heathers, yes, we do not have movies like Mean Girls... But without Heathers, we also don't have movies like Jawbreaker and Jennifer's Body. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very important to acknowledge is that this movie's darkness (laughs) and cynicism definitely paved the way for a lot of teen horror movies.
1: Oh, this movie paved the way for like a million cult classics that also didn't make money.
0: Totally. And before we dive in any deeper... It's time for everyone's favorite part of the show. Welcome to The Morning Announcements. As a reminder, you can support the show on Patreon, patreon.com backslash thisendsatprom. Over at our Patreon, we offer things like our schedule ahead of time, wonderful playlists curated by Harmony, Our Sadie Hawkins dance episodes focusing on teen boy movies. And we are currently going through our TV homecoming series through Pen 15. We offer a free bonus episode every month for our subscribers at only $1. If now is not the right time to support financially, we totally understand. All we ask is that if you love the show, you send us to a friend. You give us a five-star review wherever it is you get your podcasts, and you tag us on social media, hashtag ThisEndsAtProm or at ThisEndsAtProm. All right, so Heathers came out in 1989, confessing that is before either of us were born. Uh, yeah. I was conceived that year, so like, (laughs) hey. But, Harmony, what was going on in the teen landscape of pop culture in 1989?
1: um well i'll tell you what this is not our first movie that we have done from 1989 it's actually our fourth oh really yes we've done um, troop beverly hills miss firecracker and kiki's delivery service but i'm willing to bet that with the exception of something like teen witch i don't know if we're going to be coming back to this year ever again because there's not really a lot of girl movies this year it's a lot of Boy-centric films or even, like, movies that are aimed towards girls Mm -hmm. but are about boys, like Dream a Little Dream with the Corys Ah, or Say Anything, where it's like, ah, it's John Cusack. It's a romance, so it's for girls, but Mm -hmm. it's not about girls.
0: Anytime anybody says Say Anything, I do have to have my permanent stance of... Someone tell these boys that Say Anything is a movie. Don't, don't show up at people's houses with boombox.
1: Don't do it. Well, of course.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I just had to get that out of my like, system or else my head would explode. We
1: reference Say Anything a lot for a podcast that has yet to cover it.
0: <laughs> we will eventually. Yeah. And I'll just go on a tirade about soft boys. It's fine. Yeah. It's fine.
1: So this is the year before Welcome Home, Roxy Carmichael, which we just did you know, like two months ago. Mm-hmm. And we talked in that episode for our context about how 1990 still felt like the 80s, but it was the 80s wrapping up. Mm -hmm. It was the end of a lot of things that were indicative and iconic from that decade that people reflect back on in like, I love the 80s or something like that, or when they think of like, only 80s kids remember. I mean, that's not a meme, but you know what I mean. A snapshot of of the iconography. Mm -hmm. So this year's also sort of that, but in a boy way. So you have Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, which is the start of what feels like a 90s transition to... Kingdom, but it's mm-hmm. about boys you have the worst karate kid in the third one <laughs> you have back to the future part two um the wizard which is just a nintendo commercial and it's pretty much about how like this is the last hurrah before we move on to the super nintendo
2: mm-hmm.
1: and since the, and since this is also horror adjacent we have a number of horror films this year mm-hmm. and it's not exactly a glamorous year Like there's a few, there are some good ones, like Societies this year, and it's fantastic.
0: Yeah, Society does rule.
1: But the franchises that we've been banking on for the whole decade uh, are—it's a poopy year for entries.
0: Oh, this is Jason Takes Manhattan, isn't it?
1: Oh, it is. Jason Takes Manhattan. Yes,
0: it's real (laughs) fun. Jason goes on a boat ride.
1: It's real fun for like the last twenty minutes. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Up until then, it's not. Um, This is Halloween Five.
0: I'm a staunch defender of Halloween Five, but I love it knowing it's not good cookie woman forever
1: i i'm not gonna argue with you we've done this many <laughs> times in our spare time is a poopy movie um it's
0: poop that i love
1: we also have the fifth entry in the nightmare on elm street series
0: hey you know what that's a movie it's
1: it just the first the two before that were really good i mean honestly the four before that were really good but the two before it were especially good yeah so then when we get to the dream child it's just like mm, it's, yeah Mm-hmm. That's the first one that felt like a miss. Yeah. And also on like a personal note, this is when we released Sleepaway Camp 3 and that movie is a cheap waste of time.
0: Yeah, it's not great.
1: Oh, it's unwatchably boring and bad. <laughs> <laughs> a trend that would follow that franchise for the remainder of its time. Yeah, true, true, true. <laughs> so, I mean, there's just not a lot for girls. Like even the things we have covered that we loved very much. True Beverly Hills didn't make money.
0: No, that's a cult film.
1: Kiki's Delivery Service wouldn't come to America for a while. Very true. And Miss Firecracker also wildly underperformed and I think is our lowest listened to episode.
0: <laughs> hey, friends, you gotta listen to Miss Firecracker. Go watch it. That movie's fantastic. Holly Hunter's wonderful. She's really wonderful. So is Mary Steenburgen. There's a yeah. lot of greatness going on in that movie. Yeah,
1: it's just it's a gem. Mm-hmm. So, just, it's not a great time for girls going to the movies. Mm-hmm. And... Heather's being R rated did not help with that. It really didn't. And it's such a
0: shame because movies like this, I love so deeply. And I feel like people are terrified to do R rated teen movies unless they are straight up like slasher films Mm -hmm. because they're terrified they're not going to see the return on an investment because the target audience can't see this
1: movie oh yeah it's it's a bold decision to make a movie set in high school and have it be rated r
0: absolutely and And, honestly
1: it helps the craft like it's better for the art of heathers that it's rated r it wouldn't be the same movie without it
0: oh no and the thing is like heathers is not a very gory movie it's also not a very sex-filled movie the r rating comes from the constant talks of suicide Mm -hmm. as well as the language and Mm -hmm. the language it has to be this like it cannot be anything else. You can't tone down the language of this. It just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why, I mean, we're not going to talk about it for a long period of time, really, or at all. But I think that's part of why the Heathers TV show did not work. There's a TV show? So, yes and no. Uh, <laughs> um, so there was I a mean, TV I guess show. I mean, not anymore. <laughs> yeah, there was a TV show and they were trying to reboot it and it missed the mark for a couple of reasons. For one, the three Heathers were a black girl, a genderqueer uh, actor who was assigned male at birth, and a fat girl.
1: Okay, so this was recent then.
0: Very recent. All right. Um, so it was essentially trying to be like, oh, look, the oppressed people are now like the popular kids in school because anybody can be popular and they can also be evil, which just it, that does not fit the point of Heathers and how Heathers is a complete takedown of oppressive classes. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't work. Uh, but not to mention it was for tv so it could not be nearly as vicious as the movie and also it came out uh right around the time of the parkland shooting so -hmm. it kept getting pushed back and pushed back and pushed back because of everything going on with that until eventually they're like yeah we're not gonna do this really so i think you can watch it on streaming somewhere but for the most part like it fell off the planet um and I think that it's because all of the things that make Heathers great and special were absent from that. Um, I have seen some of the episodes, and I will say that the show does sort of do its own thing about halfway through the season. But it's impossible not to compare it to the film that it's based on, and it just doesn't work.
1: It also just feels like if you're going to deviate from like what the core goal of Heathers is, you're just kind of creating something else at that point.
0: Right. So at that point, don't even use the name. And the thing is like- Brand we have, recognition, I get it. Right. Brand recognition makes complete sense, but Heathers has been told and retold a number of ways to the point where even the concept of the Heathers is its own subcategory. We see it in Disney's Recess with mm-hmm. the Ashleys or on the Oblongs with the Debbies. Debbie. Debbie. <laughs> so <laughs> we have that archetype, like you don't need to have the show be Heathers. It could just be- something else Mm -hmm. and tell a similar story and no one is gonna be upset about it they will be upset if you call it heathers and then completely change everything that made heathers brilliant and groundbreaking
1: yeah it's just it's a shift in soul i suppose um i don't know i i I can't really speak on that so i don't really have anything to 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 comment on (laughs) as far as this conversation goes
0: no, totally understood. So anyway. Getting the TV out of the equation, now we can actually talk about the movie. <sighs> what a brilliant masterpiece this is. So typically I would go to our Fandango synopsis, but the Fandango synopsis is bullshit for this movie. It's pretty much just like a girl and a guy take down the popular crowd. Like, nah, fuck that. That's how, not what this movie is about. How quirky and fun. Yeah. No, it's just embarrassing. <laughs> Heathers deserves better. So If I had to tell somebody what Heathers is about, Heathers is about a girl who by random happenstance has become aligned with the most popular clique at Westerberg High and she is enjoying her comfort of being part of the popular crowd while also recognizing that contributing to their horrible oppressive behavior is not good for her mental well-being or anyone at school's mental well-being. All of that changes when a new kid in school named JD shows up and kind of sweeps her off her feet and eventually leads her down a path of murder and mayhem because she cannot see the red flag that he is.
1: It's that BoJack Horseman quote that, like, I'm going to paraphrase, but when you have rose-colored glasses on, you don't notice all the red flags because all the flags look red?
0: Yes. Eh. Yeah, that's very much, I think, what we're dealing with here with her. So let's break it down and start with our first major character, which is Veronica Sawyer. How do you feel about Veronica?
1: I feel like a lot of people want to say that they're Veronica, but most people aren't. Mm -hmm. Uh, The big difference is that Veronica will give the Heathers, specifically Heather Chandler, the sauce to her face. And I think that's where this is the difference between a Mean Girls and a Heathers, Mm -hmm. where there's no conniving, going behind people's back kind of thing. It's like, oh, no, I'm just going to kind of be a little shitty to you directly in your own backyard with your own croquet mallets.
0: (laughs) No, I I agree. I love Veronica as a character because I think she is so messy and complicated, and we don't get messy and complicated teenage girl protagonists very often, Mm -hmm. because on one hand we root for Veronica and want her to get away from the Heathers because they're obviously bad for her. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, she understands that there is power in social capital. So she becomes complicit in a lot of their bad doings in school. Just their,
1: their, annoying polls, their
0: annoying polls and-, and their torturing of people that they view as lesser than she, she's complicit in all of that. And she knows that that's bad and she definitely has a conscience and, feels bad about it. But at the same time, she even refers to being popular as like being a job and that the Heathers are like her co workers and their job is to be popular. And
1: I think that isn't makes that her... the draw of the office. <laughs> you just hate these characters, but they're so real and relatable to the people that you know.
0: <laughs> but I think that that's what makes her character so interesting. And we get to see things from her perspective. I mean, she's the protagonist, as well as the narrator through her diary entries. Yeah. And the thing that I love is that she writes her diary intentionally with the hopes of it being read.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, There's an exchange that she has when faking suicide notes with J.D. later where there's arguments about, like, oh, well, would she use a word like this? Would she write it like this? And the retort that he has is that Well, this is her last fleeting thoughts and this is her encapsulating her whole life and like the tragic loss of young youth uh, of youth and potential and blah, 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 blah. And she's writing it the exact same way that she writes in her journal. Yeah. So there's there's this idea of like you're leaving this for someone, Mm -hmm. whether you are conscious of it or not. Like maybe even in your brain, you're like reading you're writing it in such a way that when you reflect back on it, you'll be more proud of yourself in the way that you projected yourself.
0: I agree with that completely. And I will confess that that is exactly how I used to write in diaries when I was a kid.
1: Yeah, you were a goth kid.
0: Well, yeah, I was very emotional. (laughs) Um, And for a while, I used to think that it was because I have aphantasia, so I tend to be overly descriptive in general. But I realized reading back on some of my diaries a couple years ago when my parents moved, and I was just going through all of it And realizing, oh, bitch, you read this in the hopes that somebody would read this. You gave descriptions of the people that you're talking about. You gave context for how you know them. You fully wrote this thinking that someone is going to find this. Actually, I know exactly why I did this. Because I am a big fan of the writer Anita Liberty, who wrote the books How to Heal the Hurt by Hating and uh, How to Stay Bitter During the Happiest Times of Your Life. Both just magnificent uh, memoirs. But her third book is The Center of the Universe, Yes, That's Me. And it is a compilation of all of her diary entries from when she was a kid. Mm-hmm. And it's wonderful and really funny, but that's how she wrote. And I think I was emulating that style.
1: <laughs> you just want something that you can reflect on as an adult and go, yes, this should be published.
0: A hundred percent. Like, I'm going to be so famous and so powerful that people are going to actually be interested in this. And I need to make sure that it's good. Uh huh. All of those journals have been burned. None of them will ever see the light of day because they were too
1: fucking embarrassed i don't know if i still have. i kept digital journals i didn't write in them but i'm pretty sure i wrote exactly how i speak which is how i write now which Mm -hmm. is really informal and casual and i only give you details when i feel like it's interesting or necessary but mostly i'm just kind of like yeah so this fucking dude named tim and i read it back and i read back on it as an adult and go who the fuck is tim (laughs) (laughs) because i just didn't describe it enough because it wasn't pertinent at the time
0: Yeah, Veronica is not that girl. Veronica is giving us literature. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: (laughs) And I love that about her. I think that it's great. And I also think that because Veronica is so desperate to get away from the status quo that is being with the Heathers, that's why she ended up falling in with JD so easily, because she just needed something else. She was losing it with boredom and complacency.
1: I think that he's exciting and like the the really easy read is like, oh, he's a bad boy and every girl is drawn to a bad boy at some point, but I don't think it's that simple. I think it's a matter of she's lived in the same suburb and come up through school with the same people and, and everyone knows each other's dirt and they know who threw a really bad birthday party in ninth grade and who farted in fourth grade and every awful little facet that has decided... You don't have social currency that I feel like trading in. Mm-hmm. He's not a part of that, which means he's removed. And that makes him seem better than high school. He's, he's elevated. He's new and exciting and doesn't have this baggage that everyone else is collectively sharing.
0: I think that's a really good point to it all because you're totally right. I mean, you and I all the time quote the super bad, like, you know, to go pee your pants again. Mm-hmm. It's like that was like third grade. People don't forget.
1: No, like, I I think on kids who had nicknames, like, uh, there was a kid named Scab Eater Peter.
0: Oh, no, it rhymes. That's worse. Because
1: Scab Eater Peter would eat his scabs, or at least chew on them, and I think he stopped it at some point. I don't know. I I wasn't around him ever, but the nickname stuck.
0: Ours was this kid named Jeff, last name redacted, because I'm pretty sure he married somebody that I knew, and I remember (laughs) when the engagement announcement was made, my first response was, Jeff used to wipe his boogers on the reading carpet in kindergarten. Exactly. And they're, like, in their 20s, but that is etched etched my
1: memory forever. You remember this stuff because it matters. I mean, it doesn't matter, but it, it is the most important thing at the time, <laughs> and therefore it is, like, etched in the mantle of your home for eternity. <laughs>
0: so I think you're right, and I think that is definitely a contributing factor to why she falls in with J.D. So let's talk about jd mr christian slater doing his just his devilishly finest
1: so first and foremost god he's so fucking charming
0: he's so charming christian slater is unbelievable in this role and it's upsetting how good he is
1: like don't get me wrong he's doing jack nicholson clearly but it's the it's 1989. Fuck it. It's the it's it's the Yo Yogi or pup named Scooby Doo of Jack Nicholson's career where we just aged him down so he can relate to the kids. Why not? Um, that said, like his eyebrows, his very cool demeanor and the very smooth way that he explains things like he's suave. He's Even- a pe- he's so suave. You, you choose to ignore all of the awful things about him.
0: Oh, absolutely. And even when he's being, like, his most vivacious, he's still suave. Like, chaos killed the dinosaurs. Like, there's this control to everything that he does Mm -hmm. that he's so intimidating and at the same time so entrancing.
1: Oh, yeah. It's It's the thing that we see with, like, Twilight. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, 100%. He's he's powerful, and he's mysterious, and he's dangerous, and he's everything you wanted. And in this case, he's Veronica's intellectual peer. And she really doesn't have a lot of them. She is so starved that, like, her brain is basically in the desert, seeing oasises of cactuses as, like, hot dogs.
0: Yeah, and... Completely ignoring the fact that the cacti needles are stabbing her as she's getting water because she needs the water that bad. Mm -hmm. And that's who J.D. is because he is a walking red flag. Everything about him is danger. Danger. Will Robinson get away from him.
1: In the first scene that we meet him, he pulls a gun. (laughs) Which like, don't get me wrong. I think it's kind of fucking awesome, but only in the context of the movie because it's so cool and it's against jocks who are calling him like a fag and stuff. Mm -hmm. It's it's fantastic in the moment. And yeah, he only fires blanks, which by the way, I've seen A Thousand Ways to Die. Blanks can absolutely kill you. Uh,
0: Yeah, they sure can.
1: But in real life, I would go, oh no. But in the context of like a dark comedy where there's like a barrier and I'm removed, it's like... Yeah, it's kind of sick, though.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that that's the appeal of his character, is that he represents all of this weird danger a lot of people crave, but he's distanced enough where we can acknowledge, I get why Veronica's really into this Christian Slater character, but also, if this were real life, that would be crazy pants. Oh,
1: I mean, even if this was a different movie, like, bless poor Shannon Doherty, who thought that this was a drama... If this was a drama, that would read totally differently, but uh-huh. it's not. This is campy and fun and silly.
0: And that's the thing. is like the extreme violence that is presented in this movie never feels like triggering or hard to watch for me because tongue is so firmly planted in cheek in this movie that you know, do not take this seriously. Depiction mm-hmm. is not endorsement. We are satirizing teen life. Mm-hmm. This is everything that you've ever heard on a... Very special episode, cranked to 15. Mm -hmm. And that works really well because everybody knows what movie they're in, again, with the exception of Shannon Doherty, but the fact that she doesn't fully understand what movie she's in only makes her performance even better because it's so believable.
1: Oh, she's tremendous, but also, how do you read this script and not realize what movie you're in? I don't even
0: know. (laughs) So... Daniel Waters, who wrote this script, um, if you're like, hmm, Waters, that name sounds familiar, not related to John
1: Waters. Oh, I was going to make that joke.
0: (laughs) Yes, related to Mark Waters, who directed Lindsay Lohan, Freaky Friday, and Mean Girls. So the Waters brothers are just the peak of of teen cinema.
1: They're teen movie royalty as adult men.
0: 100% they are. Um, But Daniel Waters, who wrote it, even describes Veronica as If Travis Bickle were a girl, like that's what he was going for. Mm -hmm. So that is the type of playground we are in is like teen dark comedy inspired by Scorsese. This is a fact that I don't even know if I told you, but when he wrote this movie, it was originally like two and a half, three hours long.
1: Oh, goodness. And
0: he wanted Kubrick to direct it because he said... Kubrick has done you know his horror movie. he's done his big dramas. this would be his teen movie. Obviously that did not happen. Thank fuck for that. I agree. <laughs> but he wanted this to be like a very intense movie about teenagedom and it of course turned into the the masterpiece that it is. yeah but I think having that knowledge assessing the movie now, you can kind of see those bits of like auteur cinema inspired pieces throughout.
1: Uh, yeah, definitely. And this is a movie that I don't think anything about it should be changed. But it's an interesting thing to bring up, like, oh, well, Taxi Driver or Kubrick, in that we presented a very specific story of teendom in the 70s that we could never do again. Even by 1989, you can't do those stories again. Oh, God, no. Even if you want to go ahead and go back to, like, towards the beginning of the decade, where there are a number of teenage sex worker movies like Angel, which, you know, bless, go listen to our episode on that. It's one of my favorites. One of mine too. (laughs) Exactly. Um, You can't do those stories anymore with that kind of energy. It's got to be taken seriously. And Heathers is kind of a movie that you couldn't make any other time because in the 90s, all of this stuff doesn't read the way that you want it to in a comedy. Like the satire's gotten... Unpleasant. It's gotten icky, especially by like the end of the nineties. Uh,
0: yeah. Watching Heather's in a post Columbine world is
1: a lot, mm-hmm. and it's v- watching Heather's in our current world is a lot. You know,
0: fair point. <laughs> very, very fair point. But it is so interesting how the character of JD, which was obviously a projection, like, this is not a real person, this is a culmination of a lot of things, Mm -hmm. ended up kind of being the blueprint for a lot of what we see as, like, school shooters. Like, he's the warning sign. Mm -hmm. And obviously I'm not saying that, like, Heather's inspired school shooters. Like, no, that's not what we're implying. I I don't
1: think so many of those boys were watching Heather's.
0: No, I don't think so either. But they weirdly predicted, like, the type of person that we would see. And what's interesting is that the media today loves to pose all of those boys as being like, Oh, they're lone wolves or, Oh, they were bullied or, oh, they had problems. They're domestic terrorists. And like, that's what JD is.
1: No, they're not domestic terrorists. He was a troubled boy. Here's a picture of him holding a fish for the top of the article on the news site.
0: Seriously though. And like you watch something like Heather's and you can go, no, this guy is banana cakes he's yeah. got problems he needs help
1: yes but i love it in this movie but if heathers came out like four years later it would be weird
0: agreed it would be very weird it, it this is lightning in a bottle like heathers is a movie that contextually and textually can only exist in 1989
1: it, it could it had to be it like comes in under the buzzer at the last minute, because you, you, this, this, this couldn't exist in the 90s. No, for real. No, it could not. So, which is so funny, because this is so much a blueprint for how we handled dark stories in the 90s. I know.
0: <laughs> it's kind of like we... To me, Heathers is the velociraptors testing the fence. Mm-hmm. Like, they figured out how far we can go, and everyone's like, all right, that's the line like Heather set the bar we can't go further than that but we can get up to that and kind of touch it and we'll be okay yeah that's what Heather's did for like dark teen comedies
1: yeah
2: oh god this is a tragic thing and sometimes I have a hard time dealing with it and stuff please send Heather to heaven and all that dear god please make sure this never happens to me because I don't think I can handle suicide fast early acceptance into an Ivy League school and please let it be Harvard amen Jesus God in heaven. Uh, why'd you have to kill such hot snatch? It's a joke, man. Jeez, people are so serious. Hail Mary who aren't in heaven, pray for all the sinners so we don't get caught. Another joke, man. I prayed for the death of Heather Chandler many times, and I felt bad every time I did it, but I kept doing it anyway. Now I know you understood everything. Praise Jesus, hallelujah. Hi, I'm sorry. Technically, I did not kill Heather Chandler. But hey, who am I trying to kid, right? I just want my high school to be a nice place.
0: Amen. Did that sound bitchy? So speaking of dark teens, let's talk about the Heathers. We'll start with Heather Chandler. Heather Chandler is powerful. She is red. She's played by Kim Walker. I'm obsessed with her. But how do you feel?
1: Oh, she is the most blatantly mean one. She's, I mean, the obvious comparison is that she's the Regina George of the movie.
0: Right, which Regina George is the Heather Chandler. Exactly.
1: So she's the blonde popular girl who is in command of the school. Mm -hmm. Despite not being a senior, despite not being the cheerleader in the Heathers, she is wealthy with social currency. And she she spends it and throws it around and exploits people with it.
0: Yeah. I'm obsessed with Heather Chandler because, like you said, she has all of this power and she's a junior. That's a sign of a bad bitch. Like, seniors are supposed to have power. You're at the top of the food chain oh, yeah, of the expected. high school hierarchy. Yeah. But if you have this much power and you're a junior, you're trouble. And I love that.
1: Oh, yeah. It's like when uh, a kid gets invited to prom as like a sophomore.
0: Right. And it's like, how'd you get here? Like, What'd the, you
1: do? What the fuck are you doing here? <laughs> yeah, it, It's like a weird mystery and it just throws the ecosystem out of whack. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's it's very odd. Um, I love just Heather Chandler as a character because I love that she is so sure of herself. hmm She's clearly bored and just beyond the thought of high school and does what she does because she can. It is specifically because she can. I don't think it's because she actually wants to. I think it's because she knows she can and she gets off on knowing that she can. Obsessed with her.
1: Yeah, I think that this is, in in equal measures for its environment, this is the same thing that we see with our primary characters in Cruel Intentions, Mm -hmm. but it's not New York it's an Ohio suburb.
0: Yes, 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 yes. And I, I got a shout out. She has some of the best lines in the whole movie, which is incredible, considering she's the first one to die. Mm-hmm. But she is just um, like, fuck me gently with a chainsaw. What do I look like Mother Teresa? Brilliant. Absolutely mm-hmm. brilliant. She also has my favorite line delivery of the word fuck in any movie period, regardless of genre, when they're outside the Remington party and she <laughs> she goes up to Veronica and goes, you stupid fuck. And just enunciates the
1: shit out of it. Like, mm-hmm. it, that word feels violent when she says it. Oh, yeah. And she's also, like, backlit by a dumpster fire. Oh, my God. She's incredible. <laughs> so, like, it, and here's the thing. Like, Heather's has phenomenal dialogue. But what makes that interaction so good is specifically the line delivery.
0: Oh, my God, yeah. Because
1: you're not exactly writing Mozart when you say, like, ah, yeah. And then you say, you stupid fuck. Like, it, it's not exactly complicated. It's, but you got to hit it with passion.
0: Yeah. It's so easy to read that line. Like if you're a prissy, preppy, mean girl to be like, oh, you stupid fuck. But it's like, no, Heather means business. It is intentional. It is you stupid fuck. And you're just like, oh, feels
1: she, like you're getting slapped in the face. It's, it's, it's violent. There's, there's venom in it. Oh, yes. And I think that goes with pretty much all of her line delivery, which is why all of her lines are so good. Um, it all feels extremely organic, Mm -hmm. which is one thing that we see with like adults who write teen dialogue. Sometimes it just feels weird. Mm -hmm. No, this, this is, I don't even question it in this movie.
0: Absolutely. And what's interesting is that this movie's teen speak ended up becoming a lot of the lexicon of a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Um, I will fully admit that after I discovered that I had brain damage, I used to say like, do you have a brain tumor for breakfast? all the time because it just made me feel seen in a weird way.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: but there, how very... What a great line. Like, there's so much good dialogue in this movie. I,
1: you're beautiful.
0: Oh, that's also good. <laughs> but, uh. like,
1: how very is one that we should bring back because it says exactly what you want it to, but the person... It's kind of just assuming what you mean when you say that. Yeah,
0: it's great. It's a great expression. So the next Heather is a little bit easier to dissect, and that is that is Heather McNamara, played by Lisa san Falk. She's yellow. She's the coward of the group.
3: Mm-hmm. That's
0: her place. She is pretty and popular because she's a cheerleader but she is the one that is the follower. She will do anything that she is told because she doesn't really have the best self-esteem. And I love her character because she's also the one that feels the most human by the end of the movie.
1: Um, I think so too. But like, first of all, um, I love the cheerleader uniforms at this school. They're amongst my all-time favorite because they're black and red and they're sleeveless and they're the Rottweilers, which is sick. Yeah, it's a great look. Oh my God, it's awesome. But... I think she ends up being the most human because, she, weirdly enough, she's the most underdeveloped, which means she doesn't go to like quite such comedic, over-the-top levels, and it makes her feel way more grounded than literally everyone else in the movie.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I agree completely. I mean, when she calls into the radio show and fucks up by saying her own name and then changes it a bunch and then eventually picks Tweety, your heart kind of goes out to her, and she she seems genuinely upset. She's like, the guy that I slept with died the day after we had sex and it's like you know what that would be something hard to unpack you're right Mm -hmm. so yeah i really like her a lot i wish that she had a little bit more to do but that's just not her role in the group
1: no i think it also might make the movie a little busy if they did more with her
0: yes i agree um so our third heather is heather duke played by shannon doherty she's green she's green with envy that's basically her character she's the opportunist and who is just waiting for the opportunity to take over the throne held by Heather Chandler. And uh, I think she's fantastic. But also, she is my least favorite Heather because I wish... That she would just say what she means with her whole chest. Mm -hmm. I respect Heather Chandler because Heather Chandler is like, I'm a fucking bitch and you will be scared of me. Whereas Heather Duke tries to both sides things a little bit. She likes to play that she's like the suppressed figure by Heather Chandler, but at the same time is just as vindictive and cannot wait to be on top to be
1: just as cruel. Heather Duke is the kind of Heather who will wait to see who's going to win something before picking sides.
0: Oh, yeah. She doesn't want to be
1: on the losing side. And like that kind of she's kind of gutless in that sense, despite getting a lot of power towards, you know, the back third of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like she needs the go ahead where after Heather Chandler dies. She doesn't really immediately step into the role of like boss bitch. She needs JD to come in and almost be like, you know, you could run this school. You could take that throne. It's just empty and waiting for someone to wear the crown. Mm-hmm. And she she sees someone with, like, power saying, like, you can do this. You've been given the go-ahead because she's still a follower. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what it feels like to me.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. I think that that's a more accurate read for sure. I think she needs that push from JD because we do see her being envious even from the very start. Like, when they're trying to play croquet – And Heather Chandler's basically like, fuck you, you do not get to be red, that's my color. Mm -hmm. But you can tell her desire to be red is her desire to be Heather Chandler. She
1: wants the power.
0: She wants that power. It's a
1: powerful color.
0: And And also,
1: she's great at croquet. She She is. She pulls wicked trick shots.
0: (laughs) She is. Um, Something that I found really interesting is that when they cast her, they wanted her to dye her hair blonde so that she would match the rest of the Heathers, and she said no. So the compromise they made is that she dyed her hair red, which... I personally think is an even better decision because it feels like this is her way of being red when she can't. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just really smart and it's, it's good storytelling. Like it's a good visual storytelling.
1: I agree, especially because she's the only Heather whose hair doesn't look wildly fried. And like, I get it. It's the eighties, mm-hmm. but still when the opening shot of the movie is someone tying back their hair into a red scrunchie and you just see such thirsty curls <laughs> like it's, it's unavoidable
0: there wasn't a lot of like curl treatment back then there wasn't
1: curl treatment in the 90s or the 2000s tell yeah, me about it was it. a
0: lot of aquanet it's yeah her hair's real crunchy
1: <laughs> uh-huh. but yeah shannon doherty's hair beautiful
0: yeah it is it's very nice her and winona Ryder both have really nice hair mm-hmm. winona Ryder gave herself a bit of a makeover because she really wanted to play this role and the studio didn't think that she had the right look She has said that they told her she wasn't pretty enough, which, how dare? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Winona Ryder is gorgeous. But she was coming off of being Lydia Dietz, and that's very much the impression that she gave. And as much as I think Lydia Dietz is a beautiful goth icon, when you're looking for like the prissy popular girl in school, that's obviously not going to be the first look you go after.
1: No, and like during this period of time, Winona Ryder was, like, the edgy girl that you want in your teen movies. Oh, yeah. Like, even something like Edward Scissorhands. Like, she's not the edgy girl, but she's in, like, a dark movie. Mm -hmm. So, like, there's a juxtaposition that just fits with her. Yeah. But I think people sort of forget when they think, like, oh, how could you not cast her? She's in Beetlejuice, and that just seems natural because the movie's dark. But Veronica's not a dark character. She is not goth. She's Mm -hmm. a popular girl. Mm Mm-hmm. So... It's actually quite a jump. It just doesn't seem like that much of one.
0: Well, and I think it's because her color palette is black and blue. Mm -hmm. And it's because of the obvious reasons of why. What else is black and blue? Um, And that's why she wears those colors. So I think that's why people assume that she's like the edgy one of the group, because she wears black. Mm -hmm. But the the cheerleading uniforms are black. Like, no, that's not how the color is being used here. That's not the language of the film. Mm -hmm. But I think... Together, all of them are so interesting because Veronica is obviously part of the group, but it will always be an outsider because she's not a Heather. Mm-hmm. So she is kind of the she's the gopher friend as in like go for. We see her in the bathroom filing down her nails so that she can help Heather Duke. Uh throw up her lunch because she has uh, bulimia.
1: So 1987.
0: Yeah, bulimia is so 87. Grow up. <laughs> um, so we see her doing that. She's also the person who provides the forged letters to pull pranks on people. That is part of what she does. She comes over to help Heather Chandler when she's hung over by making her, like, a drink or something to make her feel better. That's, well, that's her role. That's
1: the intention, anyway.
0: Well, yeah, that's the intention. But, yeah. like, that's her role. She's the person who kind of takes care of all of them and kind of waits on them. Um, she is the Katie Heron of the group, if we're going to use our Mean Girls comparison. That's just reality. Mm-hmm. So these are our, are our main characters that we're, we're kind of playing with here. And then everything turns into chaos because chaos killed the dinosaurs Mm -hmm. Um, so Heather Chandler dies and how she dies is so how she dies is that she has her big fight with Veronica Veronica brings JD with her to make her a a anti hangover drink and Veronica fully intends let's just make something that'll make her sick let's just mess with her
1: milk and anything
0: right (laughs) JD's like what if we killed her and Veronica's like, LOL, no, let's not do that. That's fucked up. She would die. Mm-hmm. And he does it anyway because he's a sociopath. And so they they give her her, her wake-up cup of liquid draino And she dies saying corn nuts, which is how I hope to go. And from this moment on, you would think that is the red flag that Veronica needs Did not hang out with J.D. anymore. Alas, it is not.
1: You know, the thing is, is that at this point in the movie, Veronica's on the path to being a villain
0: Mm because she is an
1: accomplice to what is clearly the villain.
0: She's an accomplice to a murder. Yes. Like, for real. And she also confesses it in her diary. Girl, come on. Like, what are you doing? Even a paper trail. No paper trail. What are you thinking? Amateur hour. We didn't have true crime obsessives yet. That wasn't a thing yet. No. And we got that going on. And this also kickstarts another core tenet of this movie, which is that Heather is about how people suck on ice when it comes to dealing with suicide. Mm-hmm. Because, dear God... Veronica forges a suicide note for Heather Chandler to kind of, like, cover up what they have done. And it turns Heather Chandler into, like, a deity, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, Everybody becomes obsessed with it. And we see the weird and disturbing inner workings of how people deal with suicide so for the first thing uh the school has to debate how much time they're gonna give the kids off mm-hmm. and the principal even says like oh i would have gone half day for a cheerleader which is so gross because you have adults admitting that there is like a hierarchy within their school and some kids are viewed more as more important than others. Well, yeah. Gross.
1: This is Ohio, which means it's probably a football town, and cheerleaders are important in football. Right.
0: So we've got that going on, and then we also have the hippie teacher who wants to turn it into, like, a big emotional thing, and while on paper, yes, that is very important. These kids absolutely need an outlet to talk about how they're feeling and talk about the ways that they are processing her death. For sure that needs to happen. But her intentions are so selfish. She doesn't give a shit about these kids. She gives a shit about looking good Mm -hmm. by pretending like she cares about these kids. Oh,
1: she gets to feel nice and superior when all of the kids take to what she's doing. Not for the right reasons, but because then they get to make things all about themselves. Oh my god,
0: every kid in the school finds a way to make Heather Chandler's death about themselves.
1: Oh, just everything from saying that they knew her, to they were close, to they shared special moments, to like... Getting just to be on TV discussing her death and, like, being really jazzed about it?
0: Yeah. (laughs) Like,
1: it's just... Everyone is using this as a vehicle to feel superior. Like, they, they they are sucking at the teat of power that was Heather Chandler.
0: Yes. And it is really grotesque when you watch it and process that that's what's happening. And obviously... Everybody grieves in their own way. A lot of people do begin their grieving process by finding the ways that they are connected to something. It doesn't
1: go past that. But it never goes
0: past it in this movie. And like when we see Heather Duke showing up on like three different channels to talk about how that was her best friend. Like, even Veronica calls it out, and she's like, how many people did she call to do this? Because Mm -hmm. she's clearly reveling in this. Like, as sad as it is that she's lost her friend, well, now the spotlight can be on me. How great is this? And, you know, that's just really upsetting in a lot of ways. And I know I talked about it on our Princess Diaries episode, but it, obviously not the same thing, because I'm not dead, but it reminded me so much of when I would go home to my hometown during cancer treatment and people who were so fucking mean to me in high school would come up to me and be like, oh my God, I've been praying about you. I'm so sorry. Oh my God. And I'm like, no, you haven't. You're mean as shit to me. Like, you made my life hell. You're partially the reason why I slept with so many dudes because I knew people like you would make my life even worse if you knew that I was a lesbian. Mm -hmm. Fuck you. Leave me alone. But they all wanted to talk to me and get that selfie because what they want is they want to take a selfie and put it on Instagram or put it on Facebook and go, here's me and my friend BJ. She's struggling with cancer. So prayer warriors, if you could be there for her and then you accumulate all of those likes of everybody telling you, oh, my God, I'm so sorry for your friend. Oh, my God. God, I'm thinking of you. Oh my God, you're such a good person for wanting to support your friend in this way. That's what they're all thirsting for in Heather's. They all want that for Heather Chandler. They want to, I think you referred to it as like sucking the teeth of power. Oh, yes. That's what they want. That is 100% what they want. They need that nourishment. They need that power trip because, unfortunately, there's not a lot
2: else for them to do. I just had the nicest little chat with Ms. Dump Truck, got along famously. It's kind of scary everybody's got a little story to tell. You don't want to see the canoeing shots?
3: What is this, blackmail? I'll give you a week's lunch money.
2: <laughs> I don't want your money. I want your strength. I and mean, Westerberg does not need mushy togetherness. It needs a strong leader. Heather Chandler was that leader, but. But she couldn't handle it. I think you can. Moby Dick is dunked. The white whale drank some bad plankton and splashed through a coffee table. And now it's your turn to take the helm.
1: Like, weirdly enough, bless him in being good at this one type of character, we have... Otho, Glenn Shaddocks, as the <laughs> reverend at all the funerals. R.I.P. And he gets to wax poetic and spin these beautiful yarns. He, he gets to spin straw into gold as far as reading, like, suicide letters are concerned to make sense of what. to make sense of the senseless act of young life being cut short and the potential that we lost and the woes of their eternal struggles and whatever. Gets to do that for the sake of the living. Because, like, funerals are for the living. They're not for the deceased. So we see this, like, in the most direct sense with him. He's doing this for everyone. Mm -hmm. And it just kind of flows out from there. Mm -hmm. and like also it's really scummy that the teacher passes allegedly the actual suicide note around the room
0: yeah that is not good practice no Um, that is not recommended and it's specifically for the reasons that we see in Heather's because people fixate on that stuff we see it when they're assessing like I can't believe she used the word myriad like that's why it's no one's fucking business Mm -hmm. and it's also weirdly invasive for somebody who is deceased obviously we know that she was murdered she didn't actually die by suicide but no one else really does so what they're doing is so exploitive I mean they even talk about they're gonna put it in the yearbook Mm -hmm. fucked a full spread fucked like that's not okay by any stretch of the imagination but again like that's why it's a satire because Mm -hmm. that sort of behavior is bonkers banana cakes
1: yeah and like would you like to move on to our our next murders
0: my favorite murders oh really yes (laughs) okay so here's the thing on paper, I know that I am supposed to hate Ram and Kurt Kelly more than anything in the world. They're awful jocks. They're homophobic as hell. They're just cartoon, but they're cartoon characters. And because of that, I love them.
1: Oh, I mean, there's something I love so much about them leaving a funeral and in front of the church, putting a nerd in a headlock saying, like, Say it like sucking big dicks. <laughs> Say like- it. And like, here's the
0: thing. I know that there are people out there who find their bullying scenes super fucking traumatizing because it's a little too close to how a lot of bullies of that era were. Mm -hmm. But they're so stupid and such like idiot oafs that I can't help but laugh. And what also makes me crack up is, you know, not that long ago, the videos of like Madison Cawthorn came out of one where he was cross-dressing on what I think was a cruise. And the other one is where he's like, dry-humping his cousin's face and, like, making sex sounds and doing whatever, and people kept saying, like, see, I knew Madison Cawthorn's gay. Look at him. And, like, actual gay people are like, no, the people who do this kind of shit, who, like, put their own dicks on people,
1: are straight men. Oh, yeah, like, that's... I don't, I don't know how many gay men do it, but I can tell you that a lot of straight men like to just put their ball sack on their friend's face when they're sleeping. They like to draw wieners on everything. Like, there's legitimately no one more obsessed with dicks than straight men.
0: They're obsessed with it. There were these... Boys that I was friends with in like junior high And one of them ended up in the hospital Because they were having like a boys night Or whatever and one of them fell asleep And they shoved a carrot up his butt And it broke so like first off That's fucking assault Mm -hmm. Like let's call that what it is But also like only straight boys would be like, oh, you know what's funny? We should put a carrot up his ass. Yeah. And, like, that's who Ram and Kurt are. They're such idiots. Just the dumbest motherfuckers. And because of that, their bullying doesn't hurt In my opinion, like, it's just funny. Like, I laugh at them because they're so absurd.
1: Yeah. Like, the thing is, having grown up in roughly the same area that this is, like, realistically, this town doesn't exist. But for people in Cleveland, this would be probably one of the heights like a Mayfield Heights or a Cleveland Heights or yeah, a Shaker Heights. Yeah, the Waters Heights. brothers
0: are from Cleveland, so like they're writing from their own experiences.
1: Yeah, like this is the bougie parts of the suburbs that Machine Gun Kelly's from, but he claims he's from like the streets. Yeah, no, you're from Shaker, you fucking poser. Exactly. So like it's, it's a nice enough neighborhood, but like having grown up around this and knowing that through the 90s and the 2000s, it was still mostly this. I think it's just really funny because it's that old adage of, like, a guy going to a stand-up comedy show and then turning to the person next to him and going, It's funny because it's true! <laughs> like, it's so accurate that I look at that and I find enjoyment in the, 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 the authenticity of it.
0: Yeah, I can see that for sure.
1: Especially when it's done in a humorous way and not, like, a violent, unpleasant way. Again, it's the same thing with JD where it's like, this isn't a drama, it's a comedy. Right, And it's painted as such. Therefore, I find enjoyment out of it. But if it wasn't, this would be a totally different story. Agreed. And
0: that's why I I will talk about the musical for a half second. I think that the musical is brilliant. And I think that Heather's musical is one of, if not the best movie to musical adaptation that's ever been made. Like, it just nails it. It Mm -hmm. knows exactly what this movie is. And the song that Ram and Kurt sing is called You Make My Balls So Blue. And it is the doofiest song in the entire world. And it's just like, you make my balls so blue. They purl like kids' hands. Like, it's so dumb. And that song, to me, just, like, completely captures the energy of who these idiots are. Mm -hmm. Like, they go cow tipping on a date. They're bumbling fucking idiots.
1: I mean, they spread rumors about Veronica that they, like, double dip into her mouth together
0: yeah they are openly and willingly telling people in school like yeah our dicks touched in her mouth
1: (laughs) but it's not gay because it's in a lady right it's not gay to touch wieners with your bro if it's inside of a lady
0: right which is why like their bullying is so funny to me because it's one of those instances where it's like you have no idea like how gay everything you say is and of course yeah you dicks touching is not gay but for the sake of argument with who these fools are like they are so unintentionally gay and i obsessed with them mm-hmm. so of course that means that when they die it's set up to look like they were gay lovers who died because they couldn't be together in a cruel world uh they obviously were not planning on dying jd fucking kills them uh veronica also shoots somebody um misses and uh jd has to Take him down because he knows the truth. These aren't actually weird mystery bullets. They're actual bullets that will kill them. They're
1: not mysterious Kaiser Luger bullets or whatever from World War II that break the skin and also tranquilize while bleeding.
0: Yeah, that's not a thing. But, of course, Veronica doesn't have Google to fact check this shit right away.
1: But, like, why would she think that he's lying? She she wants to believe him.
0: Who would lie about something like that? Sociopaths would. You
1: believe the people that you want to believe, sometimes to a fault if you like the person.
0: Correct. And that's exactly what she's doing here because J.D. is a problem.
1: Yes, and her missing her shot and just being like, haha, it was funny to see the look on his face. J.D. does cleanup with no hesitation. He follows him through the woods, chases him back to the scene of the crime and then shoots him there because you can't like shoot him somewhere else and then drag him. There's going to be blood. It's going to be a trail. There's evidence. You have to do it at the scene.
0: Which is why I believe that J.D. has done this
1: before i mean we know that he has trouble like he's gotten kicked out of like six or seven schools in different states yeah but like the scene that they set with them being naked and together and with some homosexual paraphernalia my personal favorite being mineral water
0: well yeah it's ohio If you don't got a brewski in your hand, you might as well be wearing a dress. Hey. That line.
1: Mineral water's come a long way.
0: (laughs) It has. It very much has. But that line is incredible. That line is Ohio. It really is. Mm -hmm. And it's still Ohio in Mm -hmm. 2022.
1: I'll drink a brewski and wear a dress. Thanks for asking. (laughs) No, the reality is I don't wear a dress because they don't make them in my size correctly. (laughs) My proportions are all out of whack. (laughs) Plus, science is not meant for skinny people.
0: (laughs) Oh goodness. So what ends up happening is once again the, the fact that they stage this to look like a suicide turns Ram and Kurt into martyrs. Mm-hmm. That's where we get my initial introduction to this of I love my dead gay
1: son. And like bless the imagery, this this whole scene of them being in twin caskets side by side holding Ugh. footballs and wearing helmets.
0: The closest I have ever seen to another movie capturing that specific brand of hilarity is in Final Destination 3, when Ashley and Ashlyn burn up in the tanning beds, and then it snap cuts to their side by side offense going into the beautiful ground beautiful
1: shot it's incredible that is an exclamation point on a beautiful scene oh
0: it's amazing and that's what i think of when i see ram and Kurtz, like side by sides i mean they couldn't be together in real life so they get to be together in the afterlife which is it's just so funny to me and i say all of this knowing like obviously this is like homophobic satire of course but it i don't know it like feels weirdly affirming to like see these idiots get their comeuppance and then kind of turn into gay martyrs but at the same time it's also a really dark metaphor about the fact that like a lot of gay people during this time period were not appreciated until they were dead and that's gross there's any way you can hear me kurt buddy i don't care that you really were some pansy you're my own flesh and blood and no you made me proud My son's a homosexual, and I love him.
2: I love my dead gay son. How do you think he'd react to a son that had a limp wrist with a pulse?
0: (laughs) (laughs) So this is the point where Veronica finally um, smells what the rock is cooking, so to speak, and (laughs) realizes this is bad news, Bears, I got to get the fuck out of here and stop hanging out with this guy. He's gonna get me killed Mm -hmm. or he's going to kill me but unfortunately for Veronica uh, JD has a master plan and has decided that he's going to blow up the school in like a sign of political protest and kill everyone inside but make it look like they all agreed on it so like that's going on in the background and we have one more suicide or at least
1: someone who sure did try. It, it's a it's a proper suicide attempt rather than these faux ones. Correct. And it's it's Martha Dump truck.
0: Dunstock. You I... put some respect <laughs> on her name. I know. I love Martha Dunstock as a character. I obviously wish that she had more to do than be fat and bullied but i love
1: her well yeah you love her because she also gives off fat dike vibes she has a curly mullet that looks like a gym teacher i she- i see i would say truck driver <laughs> like this is someone that i would love to share a counter with at a waffle house at like 3am oh
0: hell yeah like, i love
1: martha <laughs> she seems awesome
0: i think martha's great and it also does suck that she really doesn't talk she's kind of silent for most of the movie
1: she gets like one line
0: yeah she at the just end. gets to be very pathetic this entire movie um but what is the true shame of it all is that we have these three supposed suicides we know that they're murders and Martha is somebody who's actually really tormented and mm-hmm. like having a bad time so she makes an attempt on her life and she ends up in the hospital and doesn't actually pass away thankfully like we're glad that she doesn't actually die
1: no she just gets she just gets really damaged and gets a Rascal scooter
0: Yeah, that's true. She does get a rascal scooter, which is pretty great. Yeah. But what's so interesting is like, so this happens and we've spent a big chunk of this movie after these supposed suicides where everyone talks about like being there for people and, you know, big fun, teenage suicide, don't do it. And
1: And how it's cool to care. How
0: it's cool to care and how we got to take care of each other. And then Martha makes an attempt on her life and doesn't die. And instead of people reaching out to her to be like, hey, you clearly were feeling some kind of way. Let's help you. It turns into mockery of look at this fucking loser trying to be like the popular kids and failing once again. Mm -hmm. And that to me is like the whole heart of Heathers is that people don't actually fucking care in high school. I mean, it's
1: easy to say you care.
0: It's so easy to say you care. It's a lot harder to admit it, and that to me is a resonant theme that we're still dealing with today because so frequently when it's like Mental Health Awareness Day or Suicide Prevention Day or whatever big national holiday, people will share the suicide hotline phone numbers. They'll say, hey, if you ever need anything, just know that you can always count on me. I'll always be there for you. My DMs are open. And whenever I see people do that, and this is my thought as somebody who struggles with suicidal ideation, check out our episode on risk cutters for that. Another one of
1: my favorites.
0: <laughs> it was your birthday this year.
1: I just like the episodes that are for my birthday or occasionally <laughs> my favorite movies.
0: Yeah. But what always gives me pause when I see people post stuff like that is my first thought is, are you actually going to be there for somebody? Or are you going to be that person that I DM at 3 in the morning saying, hey, I really need to not be alone right now. Can you please help me? And you say, oh, I'm so sorry. I can't. But, like, you can text me if you need
1: anything. Or they, you know, it's 3 a.m. And they're, like, they'll get back to you at 3 p.m. the next day going, oh, sorry, I didn't see this till now. I hope you're okay. Mm-hmm. I got, I got more than my fair share of those. Mm-hmm. Which, like, it's not that person's responsibility, but also... Don't open that door if you intend on closing the door.
0: Yeah. A yeah, hundred that's that's how I feel about it. Like it is no one's responsibility. Absolutely not. But the amount of people that say that kind of shit, it's all lip service. Like it's they don't actually care. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. Just don't act like you care. Just be realistic. Be like, hey, I'm donating to this because that is the extent that I can support people, mm-hmm. is giving money. Mm-hmm. Sick. Love it don't say that you're emotionally available when you're not Mm -hmm. set that boundary it's fine to set the boundary but don't lie and people lie and or or
1: don't even or, or it's not even necessarily lying don't underestimate the stakes of this
0: yes yes and that's a lot of what's going on in in this movie is people say that they take it seriously and they don't i mean Veronica does a fake out where she makes it seem as if she has hung herself and she doesn't. She wraps around her waist. It's it's an old trick. Mm -hmm. And JD thinks that she has. And he goes to school the next day and tells the counselor about it. School is not canceled. Nothing happens. Veronica walks into school and sees the counselor and she's like, JD told me you killed yourself. What are you doing here? And Veronica's like, no, wait, have you seen him though? Because obviously she's got business to take care of. And then the guidance counselor says something like, well, do you need to talk to me? Because whether or not you're going to kill yourself is one of the most important decisions a teenager can make. Mm -hmm. And Veronica gives my favorite retort in the whole movie, which is,
1: get a job. Like, oh, it's so good. It's such a sick burn. Like, yeah, but we also have in the scene right when we find out that like it was it was all uh, it was all a hoax for the sake of like bamboozling JD and her mom walks in later. And it's just like, oh, my goodness, my daughter killed herself. And then it's like, hey, mom, I'll be down for dinner in one second or whatever. And then mom's like, oh, OK. And they don't talk about it and they don't address it and they just move on. Yeah. It's like nobody give nobody wants to do anything and no one's concerned until it happens.
0: Yeah, There there is no preventative measures being taken at all. Like the no. mom doesn't even take that as a warning sign of like, maybe I should talk to my kid about this. It's just like. Okay. And granted, like, she could be in shock. Like, she straight up thought her daughter was dead for a half second. She might need to process that herself. I don't know. It, it never comes
1: back up. I no. I want to believe that her parents and her just don't talk a lot. I well, know what which, it's like to have a parents.
0: I mean, we don't really see any adult figures in this movie, which I think is a really smart choice because then it really just becomes about the lives of these teenagers. Mm-hmm. But the adults we get the most time with are Veronica's parents, and they are such hands-off parents. Like... They talk to her the next day after Heather Chandler has died, and it's very much like, "Oh, we heard about that happening. That sucked. Anyway, Pate." And you're like, "You're just not gonna talk about this?" Okay. Those okay. are
1: parents that I feel like are perpetually day drunk. Mm. Like they have a lot of my ties, a lot of wine, and they listen to a lot of Michael McDonald. Just They like their yacht rock. Yeah, yeah. And, like, that's just how they go through their days. Because they're rich. They probably don't have jobs. They're just coasting on the interest. (laughs) Like, for real, like, in Ohio, like, if you just have a halfway decent car dealership, you can be pretty comfortably set.
0: That's very true. Like cost of living is nothing.
1: Yeah, you can, like, it does not take a lot to be considered a wealthy person in Ohio. Yeah. So... I'm sure that these people are just drifting through life in a light buzz at all times. And therefore, <laughs> they don't have time for their daughter, because that's going to harsh the party.
0: Yeah, that's that's a very good point. I mean, the other parent that we really see in this is JD's dad. And the way that him and JD communicate is role-playing, like reverse role-playing, where j d talks to him as if he's like an old timey leave it to beaver dad like not now, champ can't help mm-hmm. and Dad'll be like, Hey Dad, uh you know, hey, Dad, sorry, me and my girlfriend are staying for dinner like to like, to comment on what the other one is doing,
3: mm-hmm.
0: and when you first see it happen, you're like, that's kind of cute, yeah, but then when you realize that it's an all the time thing, it's like, oh, this is preventing the two of you from having actual human conversations,
1: yeah and they- don't have to interact this way. No. They're they're actively
0: choosing to role play and not be based in reality.
1: Yeah. And that kind of, I mean, makes JD's psychosis seem a lot more, makes it make a lot more sense. One of the theories that I've
0: had for a long time about their exchange is that this role playing thing is something that they did once in therapy that maybe like was a breakthrough for him. And then they just have never stopped doing it because Uh. that is very common of having like kids and parents role play as each other in therapy to like understand how the other one's life is or whatever. That's what I feel. That's also me fantasy booking and doing my own projection on it.
1: True, but like I can tell you that I've been around a lot of people in my life who I don't know they want to seem like enlightened or something. So they use touchy feely therapy words mm-hmm. as they're screaming at people
0: uh yeah it will be like
1: honey i understand what you're saying and what you're saying is totally valid but you're not recognizing my feelings right now and i just i don't think that that's very affirming it's like so biting and awful and evil
0: i feel like that entire little performance you did just triggered the fight or flight of like half our listeners
1: that is based on a couple that worked at a kitchen that i used to be a bar back at and they were awful because you could hear them (laughs) screaming from the dining room and then you walk in and then they would be talking like that
0: yay that's a lot. Yeah,
1: and then when it wasn't that, they would be covering it up by being, like, kind of singing and cute, but, like, oh, honey, I already dropped the potatoes in the fryer, but you, you're being a silly villain, and just, you're forgetting it, and it just gets really creepy and demented. <laughs> Oof. I mean, and that's what
0: it sounds like when we're listening to JD and his dad, and yeah. you're just like, oh, like, he's making a bomb in his room, and he's like, not now, sport, dad's working late, and you're just like...
1: <laughs> yeah, so, like, I think there's something to what you're saying. Okay,
0: cool. I'm glad that I'm not on my own, like, weird fantasy island with, no, like, this no. is my weird thinking too deep about a movie.
1: Well, no, especially because if JD is a troubled child, I wouldn't be shocked if they had to go to, like, family counseling at some point. Like, It
0: was probably legally st- state mandated. mandated
1: family <laughs> yeah. counseling.
0: Yeah, for sure, for sure. Oh, goodness.
1: But but speaking of of troubled children... Um, Can we just talk about how the setting for this movie matters a, a ton?
0: The fact that it's in Ohio?
1: Oh boy, does it ever.
0: Yeah. So we end up getting to talk about Ohio a lot on this podcast because a lot of teen movies try to set their films in the Midwest because it feels like... Anywhere USA. Mm-hmm. If you set it somewhere like New York City or Los Angeles and it's intentionally set there, then the world becomes unrelatable for a huge percent of the population. It becomes a fantasy for a lot of them. Like Cruel Intentions for a lot of kids is a fantasy land mm-hmm. because they don't know anybody like that who gets to hang out in Central Park and have that much money. Mm-hmm but something like heathers feels very relatable because it is suburban and it is in the middle of nowhere so there's not like distinguishing aspects of like where they are mm-hmm. so you can use it as a shell for anything but in heathers specifically because it is so biting and dark and cynical it fits better that it is in ohio because a lot of our existence is there are biting and dark and cynical.
1: Yeah, um, like you obviously were not born and raised in Northeast Ohio like I was.
0: No, but Um, I did teach in the school systems.
1: Yeah. So uh, So I got a firsthand look. You're familiar. And when I say that like, Heathers is a satire of anywhere USA, but directly Ohio in the 80s. Mm-hmm. So much of what it's doing continued up until when I graduated in two thousand nine. Yeah, twenty years later.
2: Yeah. So
1: I, it's it's that thing that we say where it's like, if you're on the coast, you are ten years ahead of anywhere anyone in the middle of the country, mm-hmm. like on average. Mm-hmm. And it's it's really telling how all of these kids are are bored. And they have nothing better to do than be awful. And they have no one to turn to because I'm convinced all their parents are day drunk and don't want to talk to their kids because they're also rich and they're on cruise control. So then who do you turn to? The, par- the teachers? Teachers don't give a shit. They don't even care that kids are dying. Mm-hmm. Like you're just left to fend for yourself and whatever group that you're a part of.
0: Absolutely, and I think the fact that it's taking place in Ohio also feeds into the entire suicide theme of it all because there's not access or resources for any of these kids to get actual help. No, especially in the 80s. Yeah, and this is especially... uh, like. It's a rust belt culture. You don't talk about your feelings. You don't go to therapy. You don't get medicated. Mm -mm. These are belief systems that are, like, pretty staunchly held even to this day. Like, people have been pulling their parents kicking and screaming into the idea that therapy is a good thing. Mm -hmm. So not only are these kids being so viciously cruel to each other because they have nothing better to do and they need some sort of excitement in their lives, but the troubles that they do have they have no access for any sort of help Mm -hmm. so this is like a little peek behind the curtain but just to give people an idea of like what it's like to grow up there cleveland has the highest childhood poverty rate in the country just straight up that is a fact Mm -hmm. and kids in ohio have an exponentially high ace or adverse childhood experience score and the higher that your adverse childhood experience score is the more likely you are going to have, like, bad health outcomes, both mental health and physical health, in the future. And I think one in seven kids in Ohio has had at least three. Like, something absolutely, like, off the charts. Like, it is traumatizing to grow up in Ohio. Like, clinically traumatizing for oh. these kids. It's neither
2: love nor reverence will thou each and even for hate, thou canst but kill. And all are killed. I like it. It's got that, uh, what a cruel world, so let's toss ourselves in the abyss type of ambiance, huh? Come on, Sather's copy of Moby Dick. Why don't you give it a try, huh? Underline something. Get off of my bed, you fucking psycho. You think you're a rebel? Do you actually think you're a rebel? You're not a rebel. You're fucking psychotic.
1: You say tomato, I say tomato. The joke that I have heard since the day I was born and came out the crib was that Ohio has produced more astronauts and serial killers than any other state in the country. And, and when you're being raised with the humor of "Hey, you're going to grow up to be an absolute monster or one of the most difficult to get jobs so that you can get as far away from here as possible," it doesn't exactly set you up for success no that that is a heavy thing to be instilled in you from as, from a very young age
0: no you you're absolutely right, and I feel like that is how so many of the kids at Westerberg feel is that this is kind of the best it's going to get for them Mm -hmm. and i think that's why we do see this crave of power and trying to figure out who you are and where you fit in and why everyone is so eager to be a part of like oh i knew heather chandler i knew her because they know what they're going into they're going to become their parents and what is that existence It's nothingness. Mm -hmm. Like one of the first things we hear in this movie is real life sucks losers dry. Mm -hmm. That's the life they're heading towards. And I feel like that is such a relatable feeling for so many teenagers, especially teenagers from small towns. Mm -hmm. We're like, you know, where I grew up, I, we had, it was a big school. My graduating class was like close to 800 something. Like there was a lot of kids in my school. And even then I was like, I gotta get the fuck out of here. Like I cannot be with like the same people that I've known since kindergarten. I cannot live somewhere where everybody knows my fucking business. Mm -hmm. I gotta get the fuck out of here. And for a lot of them, it's like, I got to, you know fucking blow myself up or blow up everything around me i don't know what to do Mm -hmm. and that's what jd does Mm -hmm. he sets up the bombs in the school veronica you know stops him thankfully because she's a good person but that's not the end of it like he doesn't go to jail he doesn't get taken to justice he blow like he blows himself up
1: after his Joker plan is foiled, because let's not forget he is doing Jack Nicholson, <laughs> after his middle finger gets shot off, after he gets beat up, and what his final thing he does is lights up Veronica's cigarette with the blast.
0: Yes. It's unbelievable that this is how this movie ends, but it's so fitting because, uh, uh, how else is this movie going to end? Like, mm-hmm. it's going to end with a bang, and that's exactly what happens.
1: Yeah, and like, the, the hilarious thing of it is that JD wanted to blow up the whole school because he wanted to make a statement because he's a fucking terrorist. Yeah. And when that doesn't work, he's like, well, I'm still going to make a statement. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be like those monks that are on the Rage Against the Machine cover and I'm going to blow myself up for a cause. I'm not really sure what that cause is. I'm kind of vague about it, but let's stick it to the system. And the reality of it is he's just the weird kid who sits by himself at lunch in a trench coat. He's going to end up in the same boat as Martha where they're not going to care.
0: Because ultimately, at the heart of Heather's, no one cares. No. And I mean, that is the the big ending of Heather's, but it's not the true ending because the true ending has way more heart, way more heart. Veronica comes in covered in just explosive blast soot, and she runs into Heather Duke, who's like, you look like hell. And she gives the great comeback of, yeah, I just got back.
1: There's a new sheriff in town,
0: takes the fucking scrunchie that she had taken from Heather Chandler, puts it on because she's like, no, 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 I mean business. And she makes friends with Martha and she's like, let's hang out. Let's go see a movie. And Martha's like, you know what? I would like that. And Martha does her little donuts around her in her rascal scooter. And it is the first moment in this entire movie where an actual human connection has been made. Not a superficial one, not something that you do because it's part of social currency, an actual human connection. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is so beautiful. I mean, we do get like a a glimpse of one earlier with Veronica and Betty Finn when they play croquet one day. But it sort of feels like they're trying to mend something. It feels like it's a healing process. Mm -hmm. Veronica and Martha, like that is genuine. Like we're doing this. Like we're buds now. Mm -hmm. And it is so beautiful because it's like this is clearly Veronica trying to make amends for torturing Martha and being complicit in her terror. and what it led to for Martha. But at the same time, it's like Veronica could have escaped the Heathers all along. She did not need JD to come and shake everything up and blow it all up. She just needed to be strong enough to say, fuck you, I'm out. And she's figured that out.
1: Yeah. I I think that she could have done it obviously the whole time, but I think that his influence is kind of the opposite of Heather Duke in which she needed his approval in order for her to gain like control and power of the school. Like she needed that push. Mm-hmm. Veronica needed to be pushed in like sort of the inverse, which is I needed inspiration and that inspiration is to not be like you
0: and yeah. to not
1: be like Heather. Yeah. And now I've seen all of the shit I have want nothing to do with. Anyway, I'm going to go hang out with Martha.
0: Yeah. And I mean there's a million reads to be said about how like she, that's not going to repair harm and like let us not forget she was complicit with two murders but ultimately like it's the perfect ending for this movie it makes total sense i think it's really lovely
1: We get played out by the sick Kesarasa Sarah by Sly and the Family Stone making its yes. second appearance on this podcast somehow after Take the Lead
0: <laughs> Yeah it's it's a great it's a great jam and Yeah, that is Heathers. Mm -hmm. So, I feel like I know the answer, but for the 100th time, Harmony, Heathers, is asking you to the prom. Is it a yes, a no, a maybe, or are you buying her a ticket so she can go on her own?
1: So, I don't like this metaphor because fuck Mount Rushmore and what the United States government did with that mountain. However... The question of like, well, what's the Mount Rushmore of X topic comes up because it's a really easy way of being like, what are the four figureheads of this particular thing to you? Heathers is one of those four. Heathers is George Washington. (laughs) Kind of. Yeah. (laughs) Like... Like it has to make like the pinnacle of teen films like it's perfect. It could never be made anytime before or after it came out. 'Cause like this really needed to be made after the Reagan administration, but before the 90s. Yes. Like it's right in that sweet spot. Nothing about it should be changed. I think it holds up somehow even better nowadays in like a really dark way. No,
0: I agree. I think it's more relevant today than ever before, yeah. which is horrifying.
1: It's it's just a magnificent movie.
0: Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty damn perfect. Um, I love this movie. Like we said, we've been planning on doing this for our two-year anniversary since we launched the show. Mm -hmm. So this
1: is... (laughs) Which is good because so many people have been asking for it.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, for those that don't know, when we choose our guests, we tell them, give us, like, you know, five movies to pick from. And then we pick from that list or and heathers is almost on everybody's list and I, we always I have swear. to say sorry but yeah. no you like <laughs> that's going to be your anniversary episode i'm so sorry yep <laughs> because everybody has a lot of feelings about it and i think that is a testament to how wonderful this movie is mm-hmm. and the legacy that it has is that it's influential to so many people and it's yeah it's it's a masterpiece it is a teen cinema masterpiece mm-hmm. there's no ifs ands or buts about it so now is the part of the show where we're going to get a little sentimental Because when we started this two years ago, there was no way in hell I could have ever foreseen how important or how meaningful this podcast would become in my life. Yeah, me too. And I'm just so thankful for everybody who listens, whether this is your first episode or your 100th episode. Hearing all of you share your stories with us on social media about, you know, this movie was really important to me because X, Y, and Z, or this story that you told on air helped me recontextualize events in my own life, and Mm -hmm. now I don't feel so alone. Like, it really makes me feel good, and it makes me so fulfilled knowing that film has this type of power,
3: Mm -hmm.
0: especially because... So many people like to tell us that, you know, it's only high school or it doesn't matter. It's high school. And as this show and as the stories that we've told on this show have proven, it does matter. Mm -hmm. It's very important. And I like that we're getting to kind of change the conversation on that a little bit.
1: Yeah, I'm... Uh, something that I guess we didn't plan on when we started was that I really like how we are sort of cataloging the teen experience, mostly from the 80s onward, but occasionally before that, and how each respective year there is something interesting and wildly different going on mm-hmm. in the films that were coming out for teen girls. Um also like i'm I'm sort of a- sol- I'm a person who appreciates solitude. I, I'm a bit of an internet recluse who does not spend that much time online, all things considered. Mm-hmm. But one of the best things about the internet is that sometimes people will say something like, "Hey, um, that dumb thing that you said that was just a spur of consciousness." really meant a lot to me. And I cried because I never heard someone put it in words like that before. Mm-hmm. Um, and it makes me feel like the thing that we're doing matters. Mm-hmm. And like, that's great considering how we did not plan on anything. There were no big plans. It was just, it was funsies. And like, so the fact that it's grown and it's evolved and it, it's, it's, it matters to a lot of people really matters a lot to me. And so I take a lot of pride in what we do.
0: I'm also really proud of the way that the show has evolved. I mean, this was originally supposed to be a column in a magazine where it was essentially like me showing my trans wife, teen girl movies and us discussing whether or not the movie is any good without nostalgia glasses. Like that was the goal. And it has since stretched out into not just showing you movies you've never seen for the first time. Sometimes it's revisiting movies that you have seen and now it's a new perspective because you're now out or it's movies that you saw after you were out and now we're just bringing in someone else's lived experience to talk about it or it's a movie that we're both discovering together for the first time because it's brand new and seeing how it connects with the stuff that came before it and I I really like that. I, I think it's been a really lovely exercise in empathy and experience and I'm so grateful for both the people who've come on our show and shared their stories and the people who've messaged us and shared their stories. It, it it just, you're right. It makes it feel like it matters and I love the community that we've fostered and I'm proud of the work that we've done. Mm-hmm. And we don't always get it right. We're never going to get it right. That's mm-hmm. impossible for anyone because we are human beings. We're
1: people. We're, fa- we're fallible.
0: I mean, to, to quote a wise woman, we're all just idiots trying our best. That's
1: words that I live by. <laughs>
0: And I like that we're able to do that. I like that we're able to grow together, not just as a show, but I've learned so much about you doing the
1: show. Well, yeah, because I don't remember things until they come up and I go, oh, a thought. (laughs) Fuck, here's the thing that I've buried for a while.
0: (laughs) But in a very weird way, I feel like, as the show has has grown, that you and I have grown, and our relationship weirdly has grown.
1: Yeah, we're just growing as people. Like, yeah, uh, this podcast not only has just felt like an excuse for self improvement for us as individuals mm-hmm. and a couple, but it's also helps keep me sane and together over the last two years because we haven't gone out and done things. Yeah. Uh, we haven't interacted with a lot of people. It, it, it's, it's routine it gives me it gives me a, a structure to mm-hmm. to work on and and it kind of feels like when you to hear about old people who have to do like brain teaser puzzles because all they do is sit at the nursing home you mean like
0: what i have to do because i have brain damage
1: yeah it's, it stops your your brain from sort of icing over and and, and dying and mm-hmm. like that's that's been helpful because it's like oh god i'm interacting with you but also i'm kind of interacting with the whole internet so it's like i'm not just sitting in a room currently with no job and just doing nothing like i'm actually th- 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 there's something i i have i have a passion i have i have a, a hustle i have a, a, a thing that i'm really proud of and that we take time to do and produce and put effort into so, yeah, like, I, I I bury myself in my work, so having this, at the very least, really has helped me a lot over the last two years.
0: And I mean, just from a practical standpoint, because I have no problems admitting this, I want to take the time to acknowledge our Patreon supporters. I know that every podcast is like, we're just going to shout out our Patreon supporters and then list everybody. I'm not going to do that because I don't want to make anyone feel uncomfortable, but also... I really want to specifically thank our Patreon supporters because whether y'all know this or not, you're helping us keep a roof over our heads right now mm-hmm. because Harmony is out of work and because I don't make nearly as much money as I probably should, but uh, the Patreon is allowing us to survive. Um Things were kind of scary for a bit.
1: No pressure on y'all.
0: Yeah, no pressure on y'all. If your financial situation changes and you need to bail, that is fine. I totally understand. I will not get upset with you. But that's the reality of the situation is that this show has allowed us to literally survive and live where we need to live to be safe which unfortunately is four times the rent as it was in Ohio. Mm-hmm. They're, they're good for that. We'll give Ohio credit there. It's real affordable to live there. Um, but our lives would not be able to be what they are if it wasn't for your support and your dedication to this podcast that we record in our living room sweating our tits off because we can't have the air conditioning on because, God damn it, we are going to have good sound quality. It's
1: one of the things that I will not bend on. That said, we are on a slightly bendy card table, so like DIY. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, there is a scrunchie over the handle on this card table so that you can't hear it shake when we talk with our hands.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We we make it work. We make it work. Um, so thank you everybody for two years, 100 episodes, unfucking believable. You're the best. I'm not gonna say more because I don't want to cry. I like to reserve crying for like sad episodes, not uh-huh. happy ones. Yeah. <laughs> so friends, as always, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the Sense at prom. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at BJ Colangelo.
1: And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Veassaraptor Vesa underscore trap underscore tour. And for the hundredth time,
0: thank you to the Sonderbombs for allowing us to use title as our theme song. Y'all are the Love you so very much.
1: I'm delighted by people who still message us going, like, "Oh my God, thank you for introducing me to this band." Yeah, it never gets old. I it's love it always every time. great. yeah. If,
0: if we have helped you discover bands along the way, please tell us it makes us really happy. So on that note, Harmony, what band you got inspired by Heathers
1: Ah, uh, so the, uh, it, follow me on my train of thought for this one. Okay, so I, I mentioned like yacht rock mm-hmm. and, and like Paunchy yuppies earlier in the episode mm-hmm. So this is the same year that True Beverly Hills comes out. You have super uber commercial. Make it big, Beach Boys. Baby,
0: welcome to the neighborhood.
1: Yes, that that song. <laughs> yes. Love it. Um, I love hokey Mike Love Beach Boys, even though he's a piece of shit. Yes, yeah, <laughs> like, oh, it's so cheesy. <laughs> a problematic favorite era. Oh god, it's so cheesy and bad. I think it's incredible. Um. This is the year after Kokomo, so we just want we want to capture like the youth of maybe some some upper middle class people in the suburbs who really like Southern California living, mm-hmm. and I mean that with nothing but love. The band we are shouting out this week is called the Burkharts. Hell yeah! They are four dudes who wear nice yellow sweaters and do like jangly '60s rock and roll music based around '60s pop. Mm-hmm. It's uh they call it yellow rock and roll because it looks like sunshine. Oh, cute. It's basically Beach Boys mixed with like, I mean, if you want to be a pretentious person like me, maybe like the Rumble Strips or A-Punk by Vampire Weekend or maybe a more modern equivalent like a Boy Pablo. It's just a lot of lovely, poppy, vintage style songs mm-hmm. about love. It's, just, it's nice. it's love it. They write good stuff. They have an EP out right now called Who Are the Burkharts. It's like 20 minutes. All lovely songs. Give it a full listen. Awesome. Alrighty, that
0: takes us out on Heather's. Thank you again for listening. And as always, save that last dance for us. Bye.
1: Bye.
2: prom kind of flaked out on me. I was wondering if you we were doing anything that night maybe we could rent some new releases pop some popcorn. I'd like that. Yeah so would I.
1: This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others please visit podpeople.me